Gentlemen, we do not stop till nightfall. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Don't think he knows about second breakfast, Pip. What about elevensies? Luncheon, afternoon tea, dinner, supper. He knows about them, doesn't he? I wouldn't count on him. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Now, everything in this show is in the show notes. You can find links to the stuff we're talking about and timestamps the relevant part so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be rounding off the whole year of 2018 in uh, typical FOMO show fashion. Indeed. We'll be getting at our crystal ball for the coming year. We'll be discussing some of the news from the new year as well. Um, talking about what we've been reading and giving our recommendations. So what have you been up to, mate? Uh, I've been on holidays. Lovely. I've been travelling around the place, been a number of parts of our great country here in Australia oh. over the last couple of weeks and nice. just generally detoxing from technology as well. So oh. I tried to... Stay off emails, stay off the, the net as much as I could, nice. Telegram, all that kind mm. of thing. So, because it was a big year. 2018 yeah. was a massive year. Nice. And you're back to work now? Yeah, back to work now. Back to work officially today. I have been doing bits and pieces right, right. Uh, around the place before now, but no, officially back to work today. Fantastic. Um, yeah, ready to hit the new year. And you're, you you did a lot of traveling as well. I, I, tra- I traveled a 10-hour drive from here to go and visit my family. And um, yeah, and then I've come back and now I've got to move house. Uh, <laughs> within seven days, I'll become homeless. So, And, and you're not lying about that either. Like you, oh, you generally basically, right up against it. Basically, prior planning and preparation prevent things like this from happening. But um, yeah, basically, there's been a Christmas break and we've just been waiting for real estate agents you know, if there are any of you out there, I love you, but seriously, that industry, just nonsense. Hey, so, yeah, um, and then I've got a super busy couple months of work coming up and, oh, mate, I'm just this close to breaking down and losing my hair. But we're getting, we're getting close. <laughs> but you're enjoying it, though, aren't you? I mean, it's, it's every time you talk to me about what you're doing at work, it sounds super interesting. Mate, indeed, it is so much of that. I've just managed to put myself into a corner with such a schedule. Yep. That yeah, it's all just it's all kicking off. Yeah, have you done much reading over the Christmas holiday? Yeah, yeah, I have. So um, we thought we actually read a lot, both Joe and I. So we, we thought that it was probably about time we started sharing some of the things we've been reading. Um, just a so you can get some book recommendations, but also so we can get some of this stuff out in the show. Now you've been reading two fantastic books. I think you reread one of them, and the other one is from an incredible. Investor, a yeah. very famous investor. What are the two books? Yeah, so the first book is called Poor Charlie's Almanac, and it's the, the wit and wisdom of Charlie Munger. And for those of you who don't know, Charlie Munger is the what they call the silent partner of Warren Buffett. Mm. So Warren Buffett is mm. quite famously one of the greatest investors of all time. Mm. Built an incredible business um, simply around investing in the right companies at the right time. They essentially invest in a lot of undervalued companies that then turn out to be very big companies mm, down the road. Mm, mm. 
And Charlie Munger is kind of like the his partner in crime, but he's a lot more quieter. People don't really know of him, um, but he's a very, very intelligent guy. Mm. He, was, he, he ran a law firm before he got into investing, wow, which is, right. speaks a lot to me yeah. um, just because of the yeah the way he went about things. And, and uh, yeah, so I've been reading through that. It's a big book. It's about 600 pages long. I still haven't finished it yet, right. but I – so I listened to a lot of podcasts and Tim Ferriss I listened to a lot of and it yeah. seemed like nearly every guest he had on who was a CEO of a company or someone who was a, an entrepreneur yeah. would recommend this book. Wow. You know? And so yeah, and I, yeah, I tried yeah. to get my, my hands on it and finally got my hands on it after a while and uh, yeah, it's it's been really, really good. So if Fantastic. you're at all interested in investing or starting starting a business or even just learning about how companies are valued and how mm. someone can, <clears throat> um, you know, get around in, in capitalist society essentially mm. and be quite successful. Uh, it's it's a really good book to read. Wow! So, wow! Yeah. And on a, on a similar vein, you've been reading Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Yeah. So Zero to One, I think we've mentioned it on the show before, but for those of you that don't know, Peter Thiel was the the founder of PayPal. Yeah. And he's now at, but he's now at Pal- Palantir's his, his big project. And pa- the the whole PayPal thing is actually really interesting because he founded it with people like Elon Musk and the um, guy um, Reed Hoffman, Reed Hoffman, LinkedIn founder. Yeah. And- the, it was it was called like the, the PayPal Five or something. Yeah, they all went on to do insane things. Yeah, yeah. So, so he wrote a book, and um, and his book is all about how uh, essentially how innovation should really occur, mm. and how and the whole premise of the book is there's two types of innovation. There's zero to one, which is essentially taking doing something completely new, mm-hmm. and then there's one to n. And one to N is essentially derivative. Right, and right, He right. talks about how you should always be looking to go from zero to one, how you can begin and analyzing whether something's a zero to one idea, different strategies for running business, and just drops all these nuggets in mm, amongst mm. the book as well. It's just such a golden book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, you'll, you will listen to it and you'll want to stop it all the time and take notes because it's just a, it's an incredible book. It so. is, yeah, you, you'll highlight it if you read through because one thing I got from reading that book, oh, I bought, bought copies for my friends as well. It's an incredible book. But the thing I got from it is if you start a company, you want to start a monopoly. So, yeah, exactly mm. what he's saying. Yep. Do something different and... It's, it kind of ties into that um, Charlie Munger stuff where it's like they want companies that have a competitive advantage that yeah. consistently keeps them ahead. And yeah. Hey, such good books. Mate, you've been, you've been <laughs> spoiled for choice there. Yeah, yeah, I have. But, uh, and, and, you know, there's other things I'm reading that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in another episode. But Mate. you've also been reading a couple of books over Christmas and my, you wanted to talk about one. My reading list has been sitting there for the longest time and I finally – got around to cracking on with it. I'm reading A Random Walk Down Wall Street, which is by Burton Malkiel, who's the chief investment officer at Wealthfront. So if you've got money and you just want to put it somewhere where it's earning money, like a lot of people put it into Wealthfront. And mm. That's not financial advice. It's just mm. that's he's the chief investment officer there. And he's also an economist at Princeton. Um, and the thesis of this book, from what I'm gathering, is firstly, don't trust the experts. Um, and secondly technical analysis so people who look at charts and try and derive the future from what's happening yeah is complete nonsense okay. and he he absolutely dismantles the entire industry of reading charts to try and predict the future with all these random patterns and you might be a little skeptical about the concept but he absolutely demolishes it i mean the way wow. he goes through 
So, so, so the first point you said, he said, don't trust experts. He said, absolutely, do not take any word from an expert for granted. Now, it's very good advice because he gave an example of how experts are wrong the whole time. Um, yeah. And one of them was back in the day, there were tonsillectomies with this big thing where people were getting their tonsils removed by um, because uh, it was apparently, you know, not good for your health to have them. And some people had certain illnesses that meant they had to get their tonsils taken out. Yeah. So that was a big thing. Now, they in New York, they did, someone did a, um, I can't remember which uni, but they did this study. It took 2,000-odd children, I think it was, and they went, to, took them all to physicians to be tested, and they said, which of these kids should have their tonsils removed or have some kind of illness? Like that? Turned out 30% of the kids needed their tonsils removed. So they took, of all those kids who didn't get their tonsils removed, they took them to another set of physicians. Same thing. 30% of these kids were then diagnosed as, oh, they, need, they have something that means they need their tonsils removed. Then they did it again, and then they did it. And then it ended up that there were only about 68 kids, but they had no more physicians who could actually test wow. them? So it was just showing that, like, you'd sent by the end of it, these kids had been tested by you know three different people, and then they were saying, "Yep, you got to get your tonsils removed," which is insane. And it just goes to show, just because someone's wearing a white coat, you should never take anything as completely right. Because he says there are lots of very smart, very highly paid people who do very average jobs. And I mean, he goes, "Look at weathermen. The most mm. effective way you can be a weatherman is to take the weather from yesterday and say tomorrow's that's going to happen, and you'll be right more than anything else." Yeah, take it from someone that lived on a farm. We would genuinely, and this is not a lie, we would listen to what the uh, weather people said on the forecast, and we'd expect the opposite, and we'd be right more times than we were wrong. Mate. Which is just, which is absurd. Uh, granted, that uh, look, and I will admit they got better a bit later on in my life, but mm -hmm. very earlier on, it was, it was shocking. So, speaking of not trusting the experts, this is not any type of advice. I mean, you just can't take advice from anybody. You know, where to put your money, what to do with your. You should be very careful. And this is just a podcast. We're talking about stuff. But it's not any kind of advice about anything, really. That's right, yeah. And look, some of the things we, we cover involve markets, they involve money. Uh, we do talk about cryptocurrency, some of which we may be invested in personally. But just because we're talking about something doesn't mean you should put your time, your money, or anything else that's valuable yeah. into it. So we're just internet people who say, do your research, never invest more than you can afford to lose, and avoid getting the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and you're new to the whole concept of cryptocurrency, we actually did a blockchain basics series way back at the beginning of the podcast. And it starts from around episode two and continues on until about episode eight. So it will give you some of the grounding and the fundamentals because there's a, there's a, it's a really good background for you. So yeah, it will help you understand what on earth we're talking about when it comes to blockchain stuff. So do check that out. Cool. Let's get into the news. Japan's second largest bank is set to launch its own cryptocurrency in March. Yeah, so according to a report published by Finance Magnates on December 26, that of last year, Japan-based company Mizuho Financial Group is primed to launch its yen-pegged cryptocurrency in March 2019. So the cryptocurrency that introduced will have parity with the Japanese yen, so it'll be a stablecoin basically, and can be used to make and receive payments through a mobile phone app. Um, users won't pay any fees while transferring the currency between their bank accounts and smartphones. So yeah, in exchange for facilitating fee-less transactions, the banks would benefit by collecting 
better data on consumer spending patterns. Yeah, right. So first sources, first sources close to the matter, the yet-to-be-named digital coin will be rolled out to regional banks and retail shops, and shops using the cryptocurrency will be charged significantly lower fees compared to that of credit card services. So, look, I mean, Japan, we know already, we've covered it before, is very forward-thinking with Bitcoin, with cryptocurrency. They already take a lot of it. But this is interesting, seeing a bank actually come out and saying, we're going to go the next step. Mm. We're going to make our own stable coin. So, the bank is making mm. a stable coin. And we're going to roll this out to all of our regional banks, all the retail shops we have. Um, so, it seems like they're making a, a, a real play to to get people in, into at least their crypto. And Japan is, you know, they're very ahead when it comes to tech and, yeah, you see things there that turn up here 10 years later. Hopefully it'll mean that we can start seeing more robust smart contracts used in, in Japan as well. The New York Stock Exchange operators, crypto platform Backed, has completed $180 million of um, funding. Yeah, this was, funding. this was huge. Um, so it's uh, it's a... Essentially, a digital assets platform which is created by the New York Stock Exchange. So, it's understandable the amount of excitement that was around this mm. thing. But uh, it reportedly included major names uh, such as uh, ICE, the Boston Consulting Group, Galaxy Digital, which is Mike Novogratz's uh, fund, Goldfinch Partners, Alan Howard, and even Microsoft's venture capital arm, Pantera Capital. So what they also noted in the announcement was they're working with regulators in the US to get regulatory approval for physically delivered and warehoused Bitcoin. And a lot of experts and commentators have been saying that this is yeah, going to be the thing that causes mm. markets to rebound this year. And, um, and yeah, interestingly, this may give a, uh, the opportunity for futures trading to take place in the future, yeah. which should be kind of interesting. So derivative products based off Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. So it's it seems like the traditional markets are now recognizing the potential of this market, but they're essentially just trying to fit an older model over the top of the current market. And I've heard some interesting perspectives on this. I mean, some people think it's a real positive, mm-hmm. other people think it's a real negative. Mm-hmm. They think, you know, we've we've created this new system, uh, which is money detached from essentially all these old institutions. Why would we want to support something that essentially just puts all the old trappings on something completely mm. new mm. and takes away all the the utility of it. So it remains to be seen whether it's a real p- positive or whether it's something that turns out to be negative in the long run. Mm. I guess we're just going to have to wait and mm. see, but there is a lot of excitement around it. Next piece of news, Fortnite, which is probably the world's most popular video game mm. at the moment, their store accepts cryptocurrency, but only Monero, which is a privacy-focused coin. Yeah, so this was a really interesting announcement when it came out. It, it Essentially, it, it seems like the creator of Fortnite is a real big fan of cryptocurrencies. And uh, generally what stores will do is they'll say, okay, well, we'll take Bitcoin, you know, because that's the, that's the big cryptocurrency. It's the one everyone recognises. Mm. But um, Fortnite, which, yeah, like you say, is is by far the, the highest grossing game of last year. It's, they're making a huge amount of money. Everyone's playing it. They, they, they took the really unusual step of coming out and saying, we're going to take crypto, but we're only going to take Monero, which focuses on privacy first. Mm. They're very private currency. There's a number of government people that have come out and said they don't really approve of Monero and other coins like it because it allows people to stay very private. Mm. Um, but I reckon it's... It's great. Mm. It's actually really, really cool to see. And, and and this is where, again, and we'll talk about this more later, you often see gaming being 
the the yeah. first thing to to really troll these new technologies mm. and make them mainstream. Yeah, look, if they can if they can do it with crypto, then it's huge. You know, mm. it, could, it could be massive. Mm. Yeah. Wait, the next piece is completely random. So <laughs> Dubbo, which is a it's a city in country Australia. Um, I passed through it on my way to my holiday destination. Um, Dubbo is hosting the world's first automated ute, which is like a utility vehicle if you're mm. not from Australia, um, like a flatbed tray on the, on the back of a... It's like a tr- truck, like yeah, an American yeah, truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What they call trucks. So they're set to collect data on kangaroo movements. Wow. Now, yeah, the state government's spending $10 million across four years um, to basically get these self-driving, uh, driverless, sorry, um, utes, which is what you call them in Australia, um, picking up data on, on kangaroos because in New South Wales, which is the state which Dubbo is in, kangaroos... Um, uh, were recorded to be involved in 16,000 crashes in 2018 and two deaths were recorded uh, based off that because what they're saying is driverless technology can't currently predict kangaroo movements. Yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. Yeah, and look, it's, it's, a, it's a huge concern for everyone. I know it sounds a little bit silly, but it's a huge concern for everyone who lives out in the country, which mm-hmm. is where I'm from mm-hmm. as well, um, because... You can't predict these kangaroos, and you can never really see them until they're mm. right out in front mm. of you. You know, especially at dusk. So, oh yeah, yeah. Look, they, they, they just Yikes. jump out. Yeah, they just jump out at you, and they can destroy your car. Some of them car. are huge. Yeah. yeah, some of them are like six foot. You know, and then that hits your car. Mm. It could. I've had, we, our family had a car totaled. Wow. I wasn't yeah. driving it, but one of my brothers was driving it. And the car was written off because a kangaroo hit it. Um, luckily, he was fine. But yeah, it's a real danger. Mm. And uh, mm. and yeah, so this is this is something that's really interesting mm. to see. Mm. But it is something that's needed, especially if we're going to have autonomous vehicles out in the country. Because mm. yeah, it's it's crazy. You see a lot of dead kangaroos on the road because people hit them. Next piece, um, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos um, are among a number of billionaires who are backing um, a spin-off from uh, Alphabet, which is you know, Google's parent company, which involves molten salt energy storage. Yeah, so this is, a, this is a really, really interesting one. So the money will help Malta further develop a system that uses large vats of molten salt and cooler liquid to store electricity generated from a variable from variable sources like solar and wind. So basically, they're setting themselves um, the challenge of entering the age of storage with the next generation of technology. Said the chief executive officer. What they're saying is that this system can be located pretty much anywhere, including near solar panel arrays and wind turbines, and it has the potential to last longer than lithium-ion batteries. Um, the CEO said. So yeah, they're considering putting it in China, amongst other places, for a pilot project. It's uh, something we're seeing a lot more of this mm. push to really get batteries mm. into mainstream, you know, mm. to, to get them up to scratch because the solar technology is there now, the electrical technology is pretty much there now for electric motors mm. and, and electric electric vehicles. And But you ask any iPhone user mm. and you see it when they are, come to your house and they ask to charge. You know, <laughs> you just, we need better batteries. We do, we do. And, it, and, and it's, it's hard because even the lithium batteries, which are great, like they're a lot better than the batteries that, people used to have mm-hmm. there's still a, an inherent an inherent weakness in them you know like there's still it's still at the end of the day made of a certain type of resource mm-hmm. and that resource can hold a certain amount of charge mm. and there's ways that they're improving them um, there's ways that they're allowing them to hold more charge use the charge better or have more efficient motors mm. but 
there's a lot of companies at the moment experimenting with different ways to store energy now because it, it, it is becoming such a big factor. Mm. And if someone can solve it, and this is why they call it a moonshot, they're going to make a lot of money very mm. quickly mm. and they're going to enable people to do things with especially solar energy that we haven't been able to do wow. up until now. So really? it's definitely a trend to keep an eye on. And if, if you are looking to invest or if you're looking for something to get involved in, um, that has a lot of longevity and utility down the line, then you could do a lot worse than getting into these kinds of renewable companies and industries. Nice. Another random one, following that Fortnite store accepting Monero, Jordan Peterson, who's this famous Canadian clinical psychologist who's written books and all kinds of stuff, and if you haven't checked him out, really interesting mind to listen to. Yeah. Um, check him out on YouTube. He started accepting um, Bitcoin donations on his website. So this arose from another content creator being mm, banned from mm, the Patreon mm. site. And this content creator essentially had a, a certain view mm. um, and certain views that he pushed, mm. but essentially was just expressing his right to free speech, mm, you know, mm. and just, just expressing his views. But Patreon decided that his views were not the views that they wanted to be allowing mm, people mm, to be to support on their website, and so they cut him off. Mm. And uh, Jordan Peterson was looking at this and essentially said, essentially said that if it can happen to to this guy, it could yep. happen to him. Mm. And he said he didn't agree with it, but also decided that it might be best if he diversified a little bit more and wasn't just relying on Patreon. Mm, so that's where mm, this mm. this push for Bitcoin came. So yeah, I I think I checked the Bitcoin address the other day, and he had just. It was like 1.5 Bitcoin was given to him, but it's just kind of kind of random. It's just know? really cool yeah. just to see someone. Uh, that's where they turn first, you know. Mm. When someone, when they're under threat of censorship, their first thought now is to think, "Well, I should start taking Bitcoin." Mm. So, next bit of news: uh, Rolls Royce has developed a fully autonomous ship, and it could actually set sail soon. Yeah. So, um, in a press statement, they, uh, Rolls Royce and Finn Ferries, which is a Finnish state-owned ferry operator. So they've announced that they've successfully tested the world's first fully autonomous ferry in an archipelago near a Finnish city. Um, so yeah, it's like a 53-meter car ferry, and it used Rolls-Royce ship intelligence tech to navigate between two islands. Um, and even though the return journey was operated under remote control, this uh, completed basic ship tasks, including mooring navigation. So during this pilot voyage, the boat actually had 80 guests on board and a human crew on standby. So, unlike that autonomous train that we saw oh. the crash a few months ago, they actually had a crew on standby wow. in case things went wrong, which yeah. is which is really good. Um, but, yeah, the AI and the sensor fusion enabled the vessel to detect objects while collision avoidance technology prevented the boat from bumping into those objects. So, yeah, it's got advanced sensors, which... Let it detail a picture and all the sort of stuff you'd expect. Yeah, well, it's 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 really interesting because you ask most sailors now, and yeah, they like being out on the sea, but you talk to them about the toll it takes, these long-haul journeys mm -hmm. going for days and days around the world, and they're away from their family generally for a long time. It's, it's very long-haul. It's kind of like fly-in, fly-out mine workers mm. except the shifts are generally a lot longer and so you can see the benefits of it if you mm. can have these long-haul voyages being done by autonomous ships and not actually having to have humans mm. on the actual ship spending weeks and weeks away from civilization in the long term mm. it's probably going to be a really good thing mm. and look the journeys are probably going to be able to be a lot quicker mm. as well yeah so it drops the cost of it and then when people try and and pirates jump on board there's no one to kidnap. That's right. 
So, yeah. like, you just lock everything down. Uh, you can imagine the confused look on <laughs> some poor Somali pirate's face. <laughs> well, they wouldn't hop on anymore and try and kidnap people. They'd try and hack it. Oh, mate. Yeah. yeah. So next bit of news, and mate, this is one that we actually talked about before the show, and I, I, I'm just going to intro it and let you talk mm. because you've got a really interesting perspective on this. There's, there was a piece by The Intercept, and if you don't read The Intercept, it's actually a really good site for some really insightful pieces. But they wrote a piece recently about how the vaping giant Juul explained everything that's wrong with our world. Now, the core point of this piece was saying that for 20 years, cigarette usage amongst 12th graders um, in the US had been completely wiped out until the rise of a vape manufacturer, Juul. So just recently, um, the Marlboro manufacturer, um, Altria, bought a 35% stake in the vaping juggernaut for $12.8 billion, which values that company at $38 billion, um, which makes it a massive market cap at that value. Turned a bunch of their empl- 1,500 employees um, into millionaires overnight, but... It's insane because they make vaporizers for so you can just basically breathe in fruit flavored nicotine, and they sort of sell it as people getting you know, you know, weaning them people off cigarettes. Healthy smoking, yeah, yeah. But yeah, now that the Marlboro manufacturers you know got a stake, they can now they should, they could probably advertise this as get off smoking and onto these vapes. But in my opinion, from my experience, nicotine is highly, highly, highly addictive. Yeah. And making fruit-flavoured addictive, highly addictive substances does not really sort of... Th- these cigarette manufacturers know what they're doing. Yeah. And well, you, you were talking about the, uh, the young people. You were mm. talking about the fact that for so long, the usage of cigarettes has been going down, mm. especially in mm. young mm. people, mm. because the message from, has finally been getting through that smoking is bad for you. Mm. And mm. so a lot of people don't really do it anymore. It's not cool anymore. But for the first time in basically our lifetime, mm. smoking usage, especially amongst young people mm. and people as young as 12, is going back up mm. due to this, this vape mm. or nicotine usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's just so dangerous and... Oh, it kind of makes you worry a bit because you can't just wean yourself. I don't think that you can really wean yourself off nicotine. I think you just have to stop yeah. because it creates a cycle. Every cigarette or every breathe of a vaporizer you have creates the need for the next one. Yeah, And there's no you, cutting yourself down to, you know, just having one vape toke of a vape a day. I don't think that's cutting it. I think you've got to just get that out of your system. And yeah. it's... You know, I say that just because, you know, I've smoked for plenty of years of my life, but mm. yeah, it's, it's it's not good. Well, I've seen you try and quit once too, mate. Yeah, and like, yeah. you know, and, and, and you said before that it's it just takes one smoke and... Yeah, right back you, on you're the right train. You're right back yeah. into it, yeah. Are there... So, obviously, with the vapes, this is just showing my ignorance. I thought that they were... I just thought it was vapor. Right. I didn't realize there was yeah. nicotine in them. It's dangerous, um, isn't it? Because there's no tobacco in most of them, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So that's that's a plus, yep. I guess. Yeah, yeah. What what are the health detriments of nicotine then? Apart from being incredibly addictive, are there other things that affect people? Now, that's that's what I, I don't actually know off the top of my head because you really do like you do wonder about. We haven't had that long to actually research what the effects of breathing in vapor yeah. is, um, and this specific, you know, these specific vape. Like it's it's some kind of because they've got to be infla- they've got to be flavoring this stuff mm, somewhere mm, too, mm, don't mm, they? Mm, so it's it's not just the nicotine. Yeah. There's other stuff in there that's 
and the regulators are only scrambling now to say, oh, you can't advertise these things to teenagers. The the horse is already bolted. Yeah. The cool kids in school are already been doing vapes for a while. Yeah. And all of the other kids are copying them. Yeah. So any regulation you put in now is pointless. Yeah. It's just a bit of a worry, but it's an interesting sign of where things, you know, how things are moving in that specific industry. So Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that Marlboro and other ones like it have survived long enough on the, the vapors of mm. the smoking industry <laughs> to kind of reinvent themselves yeah. now. And this, it's a this new good way. acquisition business-wise yeah. because you think you've got an addictive product, you can sell people refillable capsules, and people will keep coming back. And these companies are great at adjusting their product to make it as addictive as possible. Yeah. Because you go back and... You, you know, especially these machine-rolled cigarettes, have, well, they have enough chemicals they've treated this tobacco with, they'll do the same thing with vaping liquids. Wow. But, yeah, see, watch this space. So, Joe, it's now 2019. It is. Mm. Welcome. Mm, welcome. Yeah. Yeah, so because we took a like a little bit of an extra break yeah. between We took episodes. like an extra week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because we were on, on holidays. Yeah. We, we talked about it and we, we thought we just needed some time away mm, from technology mm, mm. and spend things with family, et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't actually get to do our like review of 2018, which yeah. we were planning on doing. So we thought this episode, we might basically do a double up. We might do a 2018 year in review mm. and talk about some of the most important trends we saw in 2018. Mm. But then also get out of our crystal ball and look at what's coming for 2019. Hey, the big thing that you've been watching like a hawk has been the rise of enterprise blockchain. Yeah, so nearly episode, every episode that we did, there was something new coming out of the enterprise distributed ledger side. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all started with Microsoft. And if you go back into our earlier episodes from the year, um, we started with Microsoft and talked about their blockchain workbench and that that all expanding. And mm-hmm. then Amazon and SAP entered the game. Wow, yeah. Samsung are now into it as well. They've got enterprise blockchain stuff. And IBM are continuing to wrap yeah. up all their big partnerships as well. Nice. Most of them are using Hyperledger, which mm-hmm. is like a permissioned distributed ledger private thing. And the big challenge for us the whole year has been working out whether it's all just talk and a bit of a fad or whether it's actually of some use. And uh, for those of you who don't know, enterprise blockchain and permission blockchain is essentially, it's it's kind of like a public blockchain in a sense that it, you know, it records blocks of transactions and data one after another, mm-hmm. chains them together, just like a public blockchain. But the difference is, is that it's all cordoned off. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's permissioned. Only the people that are allowed on, allowed on it are allowed on it. Mm. And it's generally only controlled by a couple of people. Yeah. So it might just be one server with like with Microsoft and Amazon and IBM. Most of them just host it themselves mm-hmm. and then people engage on it. So the mm. big challenge is trying to work out, well, is that even useful? You know, mm. Or are you just making a really big, slow database that can be handled better by other things? Mm. And the jury's still out on that. But mm. IBM in particular has kind of shown us that there may be more to it than than, than we think. There might actually be some utility there. Mm. So the, the one particularly that we saw was their, their food trust that they've been developing with mm. Walmart mm. and Nestle and Unilever um, because they actually gave their all the people in their supply chain an ultimatum saying you've got a year mm. and we're moving to this and it's going to be blockchain based 
And that was Walmart, wasn't it? That was Walmart. Just yeah. enormous. Yeah, and, and and Nestle and Unilever are all tied up with that as well. Wow. It's all overseen by IBM. Um, so we're beginning to see some of these companies go further than just a pilot. Mm. They're actually starting to use it. Right. Now, how it works in practice, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Um, we'll have to see what differences it has over a traditional database. But it seems like at the very least with blockchain technology coming of age mm. gradually that these companies are at least prepared to change their minds about mm. having just everyone having their own siloed point of information mm. but moving to more of a, a collected shared ledger of record mm. yeah that's been a been a really interesting trend to watch mm. um and i think it's only going to continue in 2019 one way or the other yeah but it has been one of the hallmark points of 2018. Mm. Another thing we've seen over the last year has been the fall of ICOs. Two celebrities, you know, you, you probably heard about, you know, Floyd Mayweather Jr. and um, DJ mm. Khaled. They both got taken to task by the SEC for um, promoting, you know, fraudulent ICOs. But that's probably emblematic of where ICOs are really at, where people are starting to crack down on. Yeah, the people who are promoting those yep. those things. Now you've definitely had your view on ICOs, but oh, it's been the roundup on this. Yeah, so I mean, twenty eighteen's been really interesting for ICOs. We saw them springing up all over the place a lot in twenty seventeen, and then that continued in twenty eighteen. And at the start of twenty eighteen, the the big bubble was still going on. People were still pretty happy in general with ICOs. Yeah, look, I mean, for those of you that aren't familiar with ICOs, they're initial coin offerings. That's what they mean. And essentially, they allowed people to buy tokens, so blockchain-based tokens, in different projects in exchange for... What? Something? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these tokens, you could trade them on the market, um, and some ICOs were promising that you could use them for something down the line. So there were things called utility tokens, which ostensibly were going to be useful in some way on a platform down the line. Some of them were saying you'll use it as a unit of exchange on our own blockchain platform. But the big thing with these tokens was was that there was no real connection with an actual company. Mm. So the tokens weren't tethered to shares, for example. They weren't tethered to any future promise of earnings. Mm. They were essentially just repackaged air, well, essentially. So they didn't so really they like were spun up from nothing, mm. given to people in exchange for their money without any kind of promise. Just roadmaps and and the websites. Yeah. 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 So we've seen the interest in ICO significantly died down, and that's been to a few, uh, due to a, a number of reasons. So projects haven't been actually delivering anything, whether it was promised or whether or not. A lot of them have just sort of faded away. The owners have disappeared into the into the ether and mm. taken their Ethereum with them. And that is, uh, in some ways, actually contributed to a lot of the drop in the price of Ethereum. But, uh, that's what some people are saying, is that because a lot of these ICOs were using Ethereum to raise their, their capital, yeah. and then... When the founders bailed, they just sold their Ethereum, Ethereum and that, that, that's that's mm. what some stuff has been, you know, yep. apparently contributing to that. Yeah, about the market downturn just in general is that you know a lot of the irrational exuberance, sort of the carpet was pulled out and things dropped from you know Bitcoin at twenty thousand US dollars, way down now. 
then you've had other things, governments cracking down and actually saying, look, this is getting out of hand. This is ridiculous. You're, there's no, you need to actually abide by the law. You can't mm. just say, oh, because it's not called a security. It's not a security. There's a lot of people are promising future returns or a percentage of profit, all this stuff. Mm. And then some people, you know, as you said, just realise they're just buying air. Yeah, yeah. Everything just began to feel a little dirty, didn't it? Like mm. the more, I mean, we, you've probably noticed it if you've been listening to the show for a long time. You've probably noticed it with us on the show as well. You know, at the very beginning of the ICO craze, I guess you'd call it, we were probably quite enthusiastic about it ourselves because it was mm-hmm. a good way for projects to raise money to go and do things. But then as... Time went on and, you know, the veneer wore off and we saw that a lot of these projects were scams and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of charlatans came towards and Joe's just pulled up Global Tech, which uh, which had a <laughs> we famous mentioned a couple of times on this show. <laughs> there was this famous Australian cricketer that someone managed to scam into promoting this random nonsense product. Well, it was the next blockchain. They were promising it to be the next everything blockchain right, platform. Right. They wanted $50 million. Unbelievable. Um, and it was just a total scam. And it, it, the, the, the regulator here in Australia eventually shut them down for what they were doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and people just really wanted to get some form of a share or equity yeah. or something for the money that they're actually putting in. And I think a lot of people almost in their head thought they kind of were yeah. with ICO tokens until they realised a bit later on that they weren't. They weren't really getting anything. And I think as it's become apparent that a lot of these platforms just aren't getting used either, these mm. tokens really mm. aren't going to be useful for anything mm. at all. Because you don't necessarily need the next, you know, token for, you know, dog food. You know, you don't necessarily need a token for a lot of things. You don't. Not every service needs its own token. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of been the big realisation, I think. A lot of these projects have promised people that they're, Tokens are going to be used in their ecosystem and worth it. And then they've began to build things and realize that actually, crap, we probably can't use these tokens because it doesn't make sense. And mm. I mean, this is, I recently got into a little bit of an argument on uh, on LinkedIn about PowerLedger, oh, which is yeah. a project here in Australia. Mm. And uh, because the Australian newspaper, which is a big newspaper here, the Australian Financial Review, reported on them and essentially said, well, what are they doing? They've had two years. They took all this money. What have they done with it? Mm. And uh, it was a valid question and a whole bunch of people jumped to their defense. But, I mean, I was essentially saying, well, it's kind of a decent question to ask, you know, like what what is going on? It's, these people bought these tokens all this time ago and it's not looking like their tokens are going to be useful in any meaningful way, at least for maybe another year, maybe two years or maybe mm. never. You know, at what point does it go from a fundraising exercise to misleading and deceptive conduct? Oh. You know, well, what time have you lied to people? Ooh. And that's, I think that's something that we're going to, and I'm not saying they have, and don't get me wrong, like, I mean, you know, they're, they're out there, they're working on things. A lot of other companies are out there working on things. But I think it's going to be an increasing trend as the veneer wears off this that you're going to see people starting to say, well, you told us this and it hasn't eventuated. So mm. that's mm. been a that's been a big thing in 2018. I mm. think it's going to be it's going to be a lot more ugliness. And a lot of people, a lot of founders, deleting tweets and deleting accounts and disappear. So yeah. the question is, will they come back? Yeah, look, I don't think so. I think the ICO craze, as we knew it, is gone. Mm. Um, I think some people are talking about security tokens as oh, like yeah. 
the next big thing, you know, regulated tokens that conform with law. So, like shares. Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, there might be some merit to that. I, I'm, I'm still not convinced. I think everyone should be inherently sceptical mm-hmm. of anyone that's out there spooking the the incredible benefits of a security token. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I think this has run its course and maybe it's time for something new. I think what we may see is crowdfunding models which actually build some kind of active enforcement into how things are spent via a smart contract. That might come in and that could be via a security token. That could be a lot more valuable. Mm. You know, Then you solve the Kickstarter problem and mm. you have people administering and watching what the founders are doing with the money instead mm. of just being mm. able to do whatever they want with the money. But mm. yeah, tokens as they exist now, I'm just, I'm just not convinced that a lot of them are going to be useful. Yeah. Next big trend that we've been watching is virtual reality. It's been making a big headway. A lot of it a little quieter, but let's just go over some of the big things that, that have stuck out to us over the year. Yeah, so the first one is a real estate company who was using virtual reality for their entire corporate offices. Mm. So they had about 12,000 employees when we mm. covered them, and that number had actually doubled from the start of the year when wow. it was only 6,000 employees. And the reason they'd put on so many employees so quickly or had so many agents jump ship mm. and come over to their organization is because they didn't have any offices. Mm. People who came to their organization weren't expected to rent an office and go in and work at that office every day Mm. and then Mm. go out and do houses. They said, well, let's build a virtual world, put our offices in there, let people be able to walk up to each other and talk over Mm. their mics Mm. and, you know, attend these meetings and conferences in our little virtual world. Mm. And they can just go out, get on with actually doing their work and when they need to do something internal, come back, boot up their computer and do it in their computer. Mm. And all they've got to do is just to suspend their disbelief for a little bit, you know, just pretend a little bit that the virtual world is the real world. And uh, once people were able to get over that, they realized that they were getting more commission. Mm-hmm. They were able to sell the houses with better rates wow. so and getting more customers. And uh, they weren't having to rent expensive offices and drive into yeah, the city all the time. Yeah. And Which that means, was, yeah, quality of life, all that. Sorry, keep going. No, exactly. And, and so that was all achieved through developing a VR office, yeah. essentially. And what is insane about this is you don't actually need a VR headset to go into a VR world. You know, you could just get one of your employees opens their laptop up and it's just, you just get it in, you know, you open up almost like a 3D game, but yep. you don't see it in 3D. You just see it on your screen. Yeah. Just how people play computer games at the moment. That's right. And you can just jump straight in and this is going to be... We, there are so many interesting tools in it. Now, one of the really interesting pieces from the last year has been seeing how companies are actually using VR to train staff. Yeah. So we saw Walmart bought 17,000-odd headsets. And if you go on YouTube and you just search KFC VR training, mm. it's this random thing where it's like this whole – you learn how to use the KFC tools and the equipment just in VR. And it's – I mean, yeah. I don't think they're using that on all their staff at KFC, but it's a cool little – And the, 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 that one's funny because, like, the colonel's talking to you and, like, joking with you. And Was that even real or is, is that just, like, some brilliant – Final project. I think, I think it was real. It, we'll play a clip from it. Yeah. Tell me, do you like games? Welcome to my game. Me, Colonel Sanders. I'm watching your every move. This game will teach you how to make my original recipe chicken. The hard way. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> All right, here. Until you learn how to make my 
chicken right, you will not be allowed to leave. It's just That's creepy. unreal. It's creepy. <laughs> but it's, a, it's like a sign of things to come, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I was chatting to some dude who works in one of the offices near to mine. Yeah. And I was just like, what are you up to this weekend? And he's just like, oh, oh, this is the other week. He was just like, oh, I'm just going to getting vr all weekend he's got the hcc viva headset or whatever and he's like games are insanely good like you can play minecraft and vr he's like you he gets lost for hours just playing vr games wow and i've heard that i've like i don't have a vr headset myself mm. it's on my list of mm. like luxury items to yeah, get. yeah 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 uh, but i don't have one yet but I've heard people saying that, that VR is actually okay now. And, and he, people are actually able to play in VR now. It's insane. It's insane. And I mean, Facebook are investing heavily in it because they yep. bought Oculus years ago. And yep. it's still new, but it's one day I'll get in. And, and it well, it's so was- superior. You know, it is so superior. Like you mm. think about it, even with working, like even with doing actual work on your computer. I mean, I have all sorts of different windows up, all sorts of different programs up, oh. as you well know. But- I'm restricted by my screen space. Mm. But with VR, you just put your goggles on and you've got pretty much unlimited screen space mm. and you don't need unlimited room. It's true. It's true. Uh, well, the, this same guy was actually saying one of his mates works for an architecture firm, actually not far from where we are at the moment. Yeah. He said that this, this firm, um, they basically have a guy who they pay full time to desi- turn their architectural designs into actual 3D models within Unity. And they actually give this to their customers. This is a real business in Brisbane, an architecture firm, and they're showing clients, they're saying, do you want to see that in VR? They give them the headset and you can look around this property. Wow. Now, how good a value add is that? And this is happening in our city. Yeah. It's not 10 years off, it's happening now. Wow. And that's unreal. Like, Mm. as a person, if you, instead of seeing it on the, uh, like a render, it's just a flat render on a screen or even just a, plan you can actually see what your house would look like pretty much in real life mm. at, at to scale mm. you know? and then mm-hmm. you can walk through it and say oh i don't like that as much as i'd like this because you don't notice that. the height of doors until someone shows it That's to you right. <laughs> sorry go on yeah well i mean you know it's a difference between having a hobbit hole and a, an actual <laughs> house but, but i mean we saw that with the um the amazon stuff with yeah. vr as well you know when i was trying on their clothes and yeah they had the kiosks in the shopping centers in india yeah <sighs> Insane. Imagine being able to rifle through virtual shop shelves, find a, a shirt that you like, have your biometrics there in the VR world and just put it on and then look at yourself in the mirror. Because they, they didn't they have every item in the Amazon catalogue pretty much on like their top sellers list or something in VR? Yeah. They, something crazy And you like could that. like rifle through it like you would in a real wow. shop. It's just crazy. And yeah. you could make some amazing looking shops. Yeah. And that's just going to be so disruptive to mm-hmm. – and we'll talk about this more in our predictions because we're going to talk about VR. But it's going to be incredibly disruptive for a whole bunch of industries. Because you look at, you know, the, the, the amount, you know, especially luxury fashion companies. Yeah. You look at Chanel and what they do. They could make the Chanel experience store and they could have the full leopard walking around and stuff. It would be insane. Yeah. But things that you can't do with an actual shop, you could be, you could make wonders. Yeah. There's going to be a lot to it. So we're going yeah, to be very so excited, excited about that. And <laughs> I think you can tell. We're loving it. Loving it, loving it. So next bit, we also saw some pretty crazy stuff coming out of the disgruntled ex-Bitcoin community, I guess we'll say. Yeah, because you had, what was it, Bitcoin Cash, yeah. which... 
resulted from a disagreement within the Bitcoin community. Yeah. So then Bitcoin Cash became Bitcoin and Bitcoin just became, I don't know. It was very confusing. (laughs) And then there was disagreement in the Bitcoin Cash community. So then Bitcoin Cash became Bitcoin Cash ABC and it also became Bitcoin Cash SV when they split it in two. Everyone had Bitcoin Cash then got one of like equal number of each basically. And it was all to do with, you know, what was Satoshi's original vision because keeping to the original vision is really, really important. And then um, it's just got very confusing. And So I, I think it's fair to say that both projects that have been derived from Bitcoin Cash have now become even more irrelevant than they already were to a lot of people. Right. You know, while it was Bitcoin Cash, I think people were still willing to to give them the benefit of the doubt and, you know, say, oh, that's interesting, that's interesting. But now it's all happened again. I think people are just a bit worn out and they just don't really care anymore. Mm. You know, yeah, we've talked about this before, but mm. it's it's just, it, it's, it's interesting to watch the ideological wars, I guess you'd say, mm. over what people think an anonymous creator's original vision for a decentralized system that's not meant to be governed by anyone is. That's such a good point. You know, like, and oh. it just, it, to, to me, it seems like such a silly thing to argue over because the whole point of the system was that it wouldn't be beholden to any one person. Mm. And it was almost like kind of an evolving experiment. Mm. But that's just my view. We won't go any further into the, the Bitcoin scaling wars. We've been seeing a continued worrying loss of individual privacies around the world as I'm sure commentators commentators have been saying for years and will continue saying for years because wasn't it Orwell who was asked what the future of the world looked like and didn't he say it was a a boot stamping on a human face forever or something like that? Yeah, which seemed quite silly for a while, didn't it? You know, like after after Orwell wrote it, everyone was like, oh, (laughs) glad the world didn't go like that. But I don't know, man, this year, I think especially towards the end of the year, Mm. things got pretty dark. You know, things, things really have taken a downward spiral for individual privacy and individuals right to free speech Mm, mm. in 2018 because i think we've been we've been conditioned for a while with things like facebook and social media to make everything public to everybody all the time and then by the time we realize how much we've given away it's very very difficult to pull those reins back in yeah and i mean there's been a number of scandals of data loss and you know, whether it's been Amazon Alexa spying on you or, you know, Facebook you know, leaking data to all these parties mm. who they've been giving data to openly for years mm. or whether it was, you know, Google sucking in every decision or thing that you know or everything you say to your Google home and, you know, whether it's Microsoft, it's just... Even um, Starwood, like the Marriott, you know, they oh, Marriott yeah. Starwood, you know, they lost 500 million... Customer details. Customer data was hacked, you know. (laughs) And we're only going to see more data breaches in the future. Yeah. Well, a lot of them have probably already happened and we haven't even heard about them because a lot of them don't come out for a couple of years. And you often don't know if you've actually been hacked. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. I mean, if... Well, that Starwood one was a perfect example because they were in the system for like three years or something ridiculous so yeah there's that corporate side which is bad Mm. and and we all i think at least now we're aware that the corporate side are after our data Mm. and they use our data to make money and people are becoming more careful about what data they give Mm. over what Mm. services Mm. they use which is nice and look the gdpr 
legislation from Europe has probably helped. It's quite bit. promising because yeah. yeah, so you, you giving you having a bit more control over your data. You saying no, I want this data from that is held with this company to actually get removed because yeah. it's no longer needed. And yeah, but the GDPR and the EU are probably the exception to the rule for at least for 2018 and mm. governments, aren't they? There's been the, the trend for most states in the world in 2018 was to continue to eat away at the privacy of individuals. Mm, mm. I think we're almost, yeah, being conditioned very much into just accepting that everything that, that you have no privacy. Yeah. You know, that's just part of the world we live in. And yeah. And it's what we need for, yeah. And, and it's, it's, you can see where people come from in, in, in that regard. Yeah. Know? I mean, we, we saw this with China. We covered China a fair bit mm. in 2018, their social credit system, their mm. surveillance system. So that social credit system, what is that? Is that if I tweet something that's really negative? What, what are the imp- like? It, it's multifaceted. So essentially the, the goal of the social credit system is to give everyone in China a rating right. on their credit as a citizen, how, how good of a Chinese citizen they right, are right, in the right. metrics set by the state. Right, okay. And so, Looking yeah. after your family and stuff, you get more points. That's right. Mm. Um, if, you're, if you're making good, good economical decisions right, for, right. You know, for your own self, mm-hmm. you get more points. If you're saying you love the government, you get more points. On the other hand, if you are a journalist mm-hmm. who is critical of the government, you get less points. Watch you out. get some points detracted from you. If you, uh, there was one thing we looked at in the shops where someone was buying uh, Whether it was alcohol, alcohol or something, or something yeah, and, yeah. and they, they got a deduction in their points. And the, the government was employing a kind of a, a, a joint thing of having actual employees, government employees monitor this stuff and machine learning right. monitor this stuff. But the, 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 the crux of it is, is that it is a, a system which is always watching you, it is always assessing what you're doing and ma- putting negatives and positives on your mm. rating. And mm. this rating controls whether, for example, you get access to credit, like mm. loans, uh, whether you can go on certain public amenities and public mm. transport. Because it turned out, didn't it transpire that there was somebody who managed to, who didn't be able to, get, wasn't able to board a train or something because of, I believe I saw that somewhere. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was a journalist, I think, right. in, in China where, where it was being trialled in one of the right. cities. And the pro- biggest problem for him was when he was talking to this journalist, I think it was an ABC journalist, right. he said that once you get down in the social credit system, it's almost impossible to get back out mm. because you can't use any of the things and have access to any of the things which would give you more social credit. And so you're locked out from good housing. You're locked out from good public transport because here in the Western world, we kind of take it for granted that the government isn't in, the government's involved in a lot of our stuff, mm. but you can still, if you go out and try and rent a house they're not going to make a call to some central government yeah, registry yeah. that's going to check your, credit, mm, your mm, social mm. credit rating. At least not yet. Yeah. Um, but there, that's what would happen. Mm. And they'd see that, oh, no, you're only a two out of five. So the only housing available to you is the flea-bitten stuff on the edge of the city. You can't have one of these nicer apartments. Now, we should be under absolutely no illusion that this is exactly where the smart city is leading us. It yes. Is- while at the same time it's making things very good for governments and there are some genuine benefits, you know, finding car parking spaces in a city, getting notified there's a car parking space available nearby, you can head this way, or keeping streets safer, helping police predict where all the, you know, the the problems might be so they can actually get there in advance. 
there are some really good benefits to this the state and society at large for a lot of this stuff you know monitoring things you're reducing wasted time and stuff but at the same time all of these smart city devices and and um, applications have a very dark side which is definitely something to be aware of and not to shy away from discussing. Yeah, and look, the big worry for us in the Western world, we look at China and we think, oh, that's horrible, you know, but then at the end of last year, we covered the assistance and access bill here in Australia and what that meant mm. and what that what that put through. And it has a very, very strong China-esque ring to it mm. in the powers it gives the government. Mm. It gives the government powers to require companies to install their government-approved software without their knowledge mm. and without telling anyone else. It gives them essentially obliges companies to become proxies and spies mm. for surveillance agencies. Mm. And that's really worrying, mm. you know, especially with the technological capabilities that we have. And so mm. we've through that, through some things that have been coming out in the US, through the UK, basically the five eyes countries in particular have been quite bad with this. We've seen an erosion of individual privacy mm. in the quote-unquote free world as well, which is really concerning. So, yeah, the surveillance state is something that we definitely need to be keeping an eye on. Yeah. But um, it's not all bad and there are some still some opportunities, but wherever you have the opportunity to have some privacy, you may as well make the most of it. That's right. Won't always well, be you can. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, while it does sound like incredibly negative, you know, there's – it's not all bad, but it is worth knowing that we these things are happening and yeah. they're very much... It's the double-edged sort of technology, yeah. isn't it? Like we, yeah. we, cause we, we do try and celebrate the good stuff as much as we can, mm. but as part of that, you have to recognise that something which is really good can usually be used as something really bad mm. as well. And I think a lot of the time we shy away from calling this stuff out when we really should be calling it out and we should be saying, no, this, this really isn't right what you're doing and mm. what we saw with the AA bill last year just it just wasn't right it's not right and it's not the direction we want to be heading in mm. Mm. and I don't think we should ever be giving up our freedoms for the, the convenience or an easier life you know there's 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 some things which just aren't worth giving up then we've had the launch of a bunch of alternative blockchain platforms some of which is super promising yeah, so this 2018 really saw some very genuine competitors to Ethereum come out. So Ethereum, mm -hmm. for those of you that don't know, is the kind of the incumbent smart contract platform. It can do what Bitcoin can do, which is send value from one person to another, mm -hmm. but it can also do a whole bunch of other things. It's a lot more programmable than Bitcoin is. Right. You can set down certain rules mm -hmm. and those rules will always be followed. So if you say... Uh, I'm going to build a contract where 50% goes to me, 50% goes to Joe. Whenever money comes in, whenever money comes into that account, 50% will always go to me and 50% will always go to mm. Joe. And mm -hmm. we can both see that. And that's the beauty of something like Ethereum, which is an, an open, trustless, distributed computing platform, which is great. But the, there's been problems with Ethereum. Ethereum's been quite slow. Ethereum's been quite cumbersome. It's almost too decentralized in a sense that no one is really working on the base level stuff mm. and it's it's falling a long way behind. And so we saw, for example, EOS, which we all got quite excited about come out this year. We saw VeChain, which we covered as well. Cardano is another one, which is still kind of coming. Mm -hmm. It's not there yet, yeah, uh, yeah. but it's, it's shaping up to be really good. 
And even Bitcoin ABC and SV, which we talked about before, mm. they're both even talking about building mm. smart contracting layers on top of their platform. So we saw a number of those platforms come out and we're also seeing a fair few others in development. Mm. You've got a number of other ones which are continuing on. You've got like Neo, NEM, um, Stella, I think, are building oh, yeah. something similar. They've got, they're in bed with Facebook. There's some ties there. Um, even Hyperledger, I guess you could also say, is an alternative blockchain mm. platform that's really mm -hmm. come into its own in 2018. So uh, that's been really interesting to watch as well. Mate, we've seen open source software just getting better and better. I mean, open source where anyone can contribute code, you know, assuming anyone is a programmer, but um, lots of people can contribute code to it. And you know, these movements are really growing. I mean, you've personally witnessed a number of the benefits of open source software. Yeah, you have. Yeah, this is this. I guess 2018 for me has been the year of getting really excited about open source, and it's cool because it's it's coincided with a whole bunch of really awesome stuff happening in the world of open source. Mm -hmm. The first one being, and we've I think we've talked about it in a previous podcast, the rise of this thing called Steam Play, mm -hmm. and what Steam uh, this and this is through the platform Steam, which is the basically the biggest gaming platform for for PC gamers, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and what it's, what it's allowed people to do is for people to get off proprietary operating systems like Windows and Mac mm -hmm. and onto open source free operating systems, which are based on Linux, and still play their games. Wow. That's been the biggest problem with jumping on a Linux, which I'll just say it, it's a better, it's the best operating system. Um, and <laughs> you would. It, it, is, it is. It's, the, it's, it's open. It's, there's a whole bunch of people working on it. It's free. It's incredibly robust, but the biggest problem with it has been that you can't play games on it. Mm. And you, know, you could play some, but it took a lot of effort. But Steam have um, have essentially taken all the open source work that was done on playing games on Linux and just thrown all their resources at mm. it because they really believe in open source. They think that operating systems should be open source and free and available to everyone. So it's meant that I'm now, my name is Matt and I, I've been off Windows for three months and oh, I'm still playing God. all my games. <laughs> so uh, for a long time, I had to load Linux and most of my stuff. And if I wanted to play a game, I'd restart my computer and get on Windows. Now I just stay on Linux, which is great. So, wow. Yeah. And we've seen other things too. I mean, Ubuntu is one of the big Linux operating systems and they brought out a new big version mm. this, this in 2018. And then we had Microsoft released a bunch of their patents yeah. saying that Ubuntu could actually use these without worrying about being sued. Yeah. Um, and then you had, what, IBM bought... Red IBM Hat? bought Red Hat, yeah, which is one of the big Linux companies as now, well. Now, IBM took on a lot of debt for it, so yeah. not, you know, we'll see how that plays out over time. Yeah. But that's a Red Hat or a big Linux development company. Well, they, yeah. they sort of run a bunch of services or... They do. They're an enterprise service company. Right. Um, they have their own distribution, which is called Fedora. Right. But they do a lot of server services. So, so basically, Linux for the longest time was mainly used for servers, mainly used for the back end of mm. the internet. And it still is. It's probably more than ever it is now. Mm. Um, most things that you use on the net, uh, a lot of applications that you use, software you use, it's a pretty safe bet that it's running Linux. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that came from Red Hat. Wow. Um, and so that's why, but especially because everything's going to look kind of like this service model, yep, people yep. are leaning hev more and more heavily on Linux operating systems. Mm. And that's why Red Hat has had so much business because right. they do a lot of that work. Support, um, yeah. Canonical are, are similar, the ones that run Ubuntu. Um, but 
yeah, man, it's been a huge year for open source. There's been a whole bunch of cool open source projects that have come out as well, which we've highlighted. We might go through some of them in another episode, but uh, yeah, it's been a great trend in 2018 and mm. I think it's really going to continue in 2019. Now, moving on more globally on a financial scale, we've seen for almost 10 years the lowest interest rates in history and it's some countries have even dabbled or dipped a toe in negative interest negative rates interest. which is when that's when you have a hundred bucks in the bank your bank says okay well we're going to charge you let's say two dollars a year in interest mm. which means that you pay them yeah. they take it off you but if it, you get a loan then you get more money it doesn't <laughs> now that is a weird, negative interest rate is a whole type of magic of its own mm. and it requires zero cash in the banking system. But anyway. So why has all that been happening then? Why why have we moved, some countries moved to negative interest rates? Well, just looking at low interest rates as it is. Now, you have interest rate. I'm not a professional economist by any means. And economists are wrong as it is. I'm no expert, so just take it for what it is. But. Interest rates, if you're being given 5% a year by your bank for having $100 in there, next year you have $105, you get $105. So if you're earning a good interest rate, then you probably won't re- like you won't be as incentivized to spend your money. Mm. Whereas if the interest rate is means you're actually getting very little, then you're, there's, the theory is you're more incentivized to spend your money. Mm. And spending the money they think is good for the economy because even pointless spending is apparently really good for the economy. Mm. Spending is good, and we should have spending is good. Yeah. Just don't that don't question that. That's right. That, that morale and and yeah, you've just said really low interest rates. Now a lot of very smart minds say that interest rates are sort of the last line of defence that the major central banks have. And by being on historically low interest rates, it doesn't suggest that our economy is in brilliant shape. Mm. Now, I'm not an expert, but if you've got a very low interest rate of, let's say, 2%, which is very low, mm. and every year inflation, so the value of your... They say inflation, but it means your money is worth less every year. So what a dollar bought this year is worth 97 cents next year. Mm. You know, you buy less with your money, mm. and it means you're actually... If your interest rate is 2.5% and the inflation rate is 3.5%, let's say, you're actually losing 1% a year of your cash. Mm. And, and I guess that's, I guess, a, a micro example of a, a more macro trend with the global economy, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you've, you've got a bunch of problems in that things are tied onto those interest rates. Mm. So a lot of people get, you know, get cars you know, which on based on a variable interest rate. And a load of people have bought these swanky new cars because it's on a really low interest rate they can afford. Mm. What happens when that goes up just 0.5%? I mean, Trump was really angry recently when the Federal Reserve put the interest rates up a very small amount. Mm. But it's like that ultimately causes, you know, a very small amount of extra interest. Some people are like, I can't afford my car, just ditch it. And that's what hasn't been moving much, but isn't it? Because people aren't game to to lift interest rates because so many people are now indebted to the hilt. Yikes. That a a, a small shift in interest rates could set off a domino effect that may spark the next Mm. depression. We're not built on particularly solid ground. Yeah. Um, And we have been printing money out of thin air for uh, for 
quite a long time. I mean, quantitative easing, is, which is what they call it, wasn't really used in history. Mm. I, as far as I'm aware, it wasn't used very much at all until quite recently. Yeah. So there, I'm not saying it's all doom and gloom, but it's not all perfect. So financial markets are in potentially a precarious situation, but neither of us know the future. Yeah. And you should not take our word based off it. But I would say have some caution as you go, but who knows? I mean, we're just people who do a podcast on the internet. That's right. And many very smart people say it's just going to go up forever and growth can go indefinitely. So literally there is many, there are many schools of thought and we don't know what's going to happen. It's also been a really interesting year in geopolitics, hasn't it? There's been a big rift between US and China, if you've <laughs> yeah. seen it. We're not talking about politics, just more like globally. The US and China have had this big rift. There's been an effect on imports in America, where companies even like Tesla are being taxed on importing things from China, which they need for manufacturing. So there's actually been tariffs that they're putting on. And that, look, there has been a huge amount of growth in the developing world in 2018 too, hasn't there? I mean, if you just look at the year-on-year growth, I mean, you've seen Vietnam has seen, has seen decent growth. I think it was apparently 7.3% year-on-year. You've had Bangladesh making a similar sort of growth. India making decent growth like that. China, Philippines, Pakistan, Indonesia, Poland, Egypt, Malaysia. It's been growth, some mm. real growth in some of these countries. And they're all names you don't hear, mm. apart from India and China, I guess, anywhere near as much, mm. especially when you're talking about successful companies, countries mm. that mm. are growing. Mm. And one country that I really want to be investing in next year more and more is India. Just mm. love it. And why's that? Because I think there's so much opportunity not only in the the way that they're looking and expanding their broadband mm. um, and internet connectivity around the country. I think also they're, they're, they've been very closely tied to the UK for a long time. So mm. there's actually a closeness in language mm. a lot more um, just because they're, you know, quite a number of English speakers there there's so much opportunity and so much such a brilliant culture there not that these other countries don't have that but I mean India has so much promise and they're going to be reaching a billion people if they haven't already I think they have yeah yeah, it's ridiculous isn't it so yeah I mean these countries super exciting yeah and we'll hopefully be covering them more in the next year because we've seen like trade routes being growing over the Mm. last year whether it's through the China's Silk Road we've just been watching that for years same with the other routes that are going through Iran and mm. Afghanistan. Just ones to watch and we'll keep, keep talking about that. So that's a really good segue then, I think, into our picks and predictions for 2019. So what are those things that you would say would be, you know, a sure bet if there is one? <laughs> well, I think, like what we were talking about, I think for me a sure bet is that China continues its expansion, mm-hmm. it'll claw more away from the US. We are seeing a huge push from China through their Silk Road initiative, and you can look that up. It's called One Belt, One Road mm. is what they call it, and they're kind of trying to revive the ancient Silk Road. Mm. And they've been very aggressive in their lending policies. They're lending at very competitive rates wow. to a lot of countries to help them build ports, wow. uh, both land ports and seaports. There's obviously some strings attached for that mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but... A lot of these companies, countries have been out of the geopolitical sphere of influence for a long time and they want in. Mm. And China has a lot of land connections to a number of places and is quite conveniently located for a number of other 
emergent centers mm. uh, by sea as well. So, they are setting themselves up very well to be a very big geopolitical player. And uh, and we're seeing the same thing in Africa, which we were talking mm. about. It's also really interesting. The I know some people that went over to China recently and they said that they were incredibly surprised at how big the blockchain distributed tech industry in China already was mm. and how much of a push the government wow. is making for that. It seems like not just in blockchain, but in emergent tech in general. Wow. China is wanting to be the major player in the world. And we saw uh, just this week they landed a robotic probe on the dark side of the moon. Yeah, that was huge. You know, which is it had successfully landed. Mm. Um, all went really well, apparently. And so it looks like the old space race is beginning to emerge. I saw a really interesting piece, actually. And if I find it, we'll put it in the show notes about the conjecture that China is a searching for minerals on the moon because mm-hmm. it, it might be a lot easier for them to mine something there than at an asteroid. Mm-hmm. But even if they can't, um, it would make sense for them to to build a base on the moon there. Mm-hmm. And that may be why yeah. they're looking at the dark side of the moon uh, as a kind of a staging area for mining asteroids. Wow. And we already know that there's a number of companies starting up now who are talking about mining asteroids, mm. building equipment to mm. mine asteroids. Once you can get out there, it's a lot easier to mine on the asteroids than it is like precious mes- metals on these asteroids than it would be to try and find them somewhere on the Earth. Mm. Uh, so... Yeah, that's another thing to watch from China. So, yeah, look, I think China are a very well placed. I think for my sure bet for 2019, it's that China significantly increases mm. their geopolitical position. How about you? All I can really come up with is, that, you know, there's that quote where Warren Buffett's focus when it comes to investing is he looks for companies with a consistent competitive advantage. And I think just a lot, a lot of the you know, areas that are a sure bet, I'd say just companies and businesses that have a consistent competitive advantage, whether that's Google because they have the entire search market mm. and the competitive advantage there. So who, who are you seeing then that's really impressing you? Out of some, even if it's some of the bigger companies, I would be saying just Google, just because they have that market and they're constantly sort of building on the uh, with uh, with their victory. Yeah. If, if you had to pick one sector or one technology as a sure bet for 2019 to significantly increase its market position, what would it be? I'd say graphene-based graphene. technology because as soon as we can mass produce that, that's exciting. Okay, so next prediction then. Joe, what is your long shot? Uh, it doesn't have to just be one either. It can be a number of long shots if you've got them. If you had to... Essentially, make like a hundred to one bet for the for the coming year. I'd say smart contracts are gonna suddenly get exciting because, in the same way as use a lot of this encryption technology in your browser without you knowing it, maybe the same will be in smart contracts. Maybe we'll get a new type of URL that references a smart contract, mm. and things happen without you having to sign contracts in all these crazy ways. Maybe there'll be a new protocol for that, and they'll just get user friendly. And it won't just be some mad thing. I think that's a hundred to one bet. Um, whether that <laughs> that'd be great. Another hundred to one bet. Crypto becomes user friendly. Wow. Cryptocurrency. That's more like a five hundred to one. Merchant bet, adoption. <laughs> Merchant be- adoption. Then it becomes regularly <laughs> used by everybody. Um, less than a hundred to one. Facebook could issue a cryptocurrency. That is a. Nah, hundreds of one. That's almost. Oh, I know. I'll but give you. I'll give you ten to one odds on that. Ooh, 
um, a re- and quite a long shot. Yeah. Apple Pay or Google Wallet integrate cryptocurrency. Yeah. I'd, right. I'd love what are they going to integrate? Just, that's a good question. I didn't really think about this. Um, <laughs> I'd probably say they integrate a bunch of major cryptocurrencies, like the top 50 ones, yep. but do it based off a fixed you know, price. So you, when you're at the checkout, it's just that you spend a dollar whatever of that coin and it takes a dollar whatever of that thing. Okay. I say that, I haven't really thought it through, which is why it's a hundred to one long shot. What about you? What would you say? Uh, <laughs> what would you say are your big, your big long shots for the year? Okay. So my first one is that we see a government or bank launch a stable coin on a public smart contract blockchain network. And now I wrote this prediction down before I realized that a Japanese bank had actually announced that they were oh. doing this. So I've kind of, I'm kind of going to have to revise this a little bit and say we see a government launch or yes. mandate a stablecoin on a public smart contract mm. blockchain network. Now, yep. the reason why I think that would be such an exciting long shot is that if we can get a government to support a stablecoin on a public network, that will give that public network a lot more legitimacy mm-hmm. and it will give businesses a reason to start saying that, yes, it's now safe for us to use these smart contracts and we can go to the government and say, you need to make a smart contract endpoint. Can I posit on the thousand to one odds that it's Zimbabwe and it means that Zimbabwe can finally get international trading within Zimbabwe coin and people spent exchange their Bitcoin for Zimbabwe coin. It would just be great. Have you been talking to Jordan recently? Is that... It's a whole other question, huh? (laughs) What's your, what's your other long shot? Um, so, my other long shot, now this is probably 10,000 to one odds, yeah. is that Liberland, the uh, libertarian paradise country on the disputed border of three other countries, <laughs> um, yeah. gets recognised as a legitimate international current, current country. Wow. Does that give them like UN Security Council status? Yeah, it means they can have an ambassador and wow. they can, you know, you can you can immigrate there and get a passport. Yes. Yeah. I don't think that's very likely, but well, we'll, we'll see. Give, well, I'll give it a bit. My other long shot is that uh, some legitimate research is done into 5G technology before it's rolled out. So, some legitimate research is done into the health impacts of 5G technology and it's given publicity, like mainstream publicity, before the 5G network is rolled out in a major Western country. That's highly unlikely. <laughs> but I love your thinking. I love where you're coming from. It's I a long it. shot. So, is my nose bleeding? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, looking at the big tech, the tech which has really excited us in the last few years, what are the technologies that you think are just going to continue to come out and get into the foreground this year? Yeah, look, mine is almost a safe bet. Um, because we've already talked about it. We've already been excited about it. But I think virtual reality Mm. will be like VR technology will be increasingly used in business settings, like in a big way. I think you're going to see several large companies either do what that real estate company did, which Mm -hmm. we talked about, which is begin to actually sell their offices up and put everyone into VR and say, stay home. You can work from VR now. Mm -hmm. Or you're going to see VR be integrated into large corporate workflows in some new and unique way. Mm. You know, we've already seen training. Maybe there's other ways that, that this technology will be integrated. Maybe customer service or mm. maybe marketing. I'm not sure. But we will see virtual reality increasingly used in a business setting. I think it's going to be increasingly used in a gaming setting. I mm. think that's a given. You know, mm. I think 
even things like High Fidelity, which we've yeah, covered yeah, before, yeah. Amazon Sumerian, yeah. technology like that. You, you're probably going to see that in used in gaming. I think retail is a really interesting area where we may see VR really start to take off. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be something that gives people a genuine reason to buy like a VR visor. Because mm-hmm. until then, it's just playing a game that on your computer app screen. Sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I think you may start seeing companies either buy them for their employees mm-hmm. or say you need to get one of these. If you get one of them, you're going to be able to work from home two days a week, three days a week mm. or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, where do I apply? Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to see someone also develop like a genuine business VR operating system so someone can sit in that like an office on top of a cliff overlooking a big sea, have their computer virtual computer set up around them and just have a bunch of screens mm, and mm, mm. shift them around with their hands, you know, and do oh, a touch screen in VR or yes. something. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I don't good. think we'll see that in 2019. But imagine, imagine a board meeting where everyone's in VR, just a huge whiteboard and people can just walk up to it, draw on it, do all sorts of things. Anyway, that's my... Yeah. Uh, 2019, I think you're going to really begin to see business starting to harness this mm-hmm. technology in a big way. How well, about you? The technology I'm really excited to watch this year is you know, a few things. First off, Smart Cities. We did a whole episode feature on Smart Cities. Check it out. Um, cities have the opportunity to make a lot of money off this Smart City stuff and you know make things safer and, and all those sorts of things. But we're going to see with all these Smart CCTV cameras, I think coming off of that, we're going to see more and more machine vision mm. in action. You're already seeing machine vision chips being built into security cameras. I mean, there are a number of companies that do that. Really worth watching because yeah, then it's going to be you're going to speed through the city, not a single speed camera, just a regular CCTV would be able to measure you doing that. So machine vision, I think we're going to see more developments in that. Um, next up, I'd love to see more battery technology, seeing it advance. Who knows what's going to win at the end of the day? Something could come completely out of left field and just knock the whole thing out of the park. Electric transportation following off that. I mean, I want to see buses, lorries, dump trucks, all those vehicles that have really big weight and do lots of start, stop, start stuff, especially buses and dump trucks. Would love to just see advances in that. And that's something I'm excited about. Because that's what's really energy inefficient at the moment, isn't it? All these Mm. big vehicles starting and stopping all the time, Mm -hmm. putting a lot of weight on their motors, churning a lot of fuel. Yeah. But they can't really keep keep that up with a battery. Like draw too much power from a battery and do that a lot of times at the moment. So you get good torque, but yeah, just not good. Good lifespan. Yeah. Well, lifespan. Battery. Your vehicle gets good lifespan, but your battery mm, just doesn't mm. stay up to it. And then yeah. what's following that is you're seeing all these, like, cars are slowly becoming more and more autonomous. I mean, cruise control is one thing, but you're starting to see lane assist with all these new Volkswagen sports and all mm. these things. And uh, whether it's just keeping you in your lane or whether it's Mercedes or, you know, all these things, Tesla's, like, giving you a beep if your eyes go shut and you start falling asleep. More and more autonomous stuff there. And eventually, we're going to be able to go and have some whiskey and then drive home without having to drive, which yes. would be yeah, lovely. So, yes. Yeah, and also really excited to see all these satellite constellations that they're putting up in low Earth orbit to have really fast internet. Um, you know, whether it's SpaceX are looking at doing yeah. that. A number of different companies are looking at doing that. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So, and are they aiming at taking away the need for wired internet or is it more aimed towards developing world? 
do you know what? I think there's a bit of both because you do see some some advances, meaning that you could actually get really fast speeds, really, and lower latencies as we like as all this tech improves. Yeah. But as you've experienced with satellite internet, it hasn't been so fun. <laughs> um, it's no fun at all. So, what blockchain platform are you really excited to be watching this year? I guess I share it with you, really, at the, at the end of the day. You do, yeah, yeah. We so we we actually were hoping to have two different blockchain platforms that we both settled on the same platform. Yeah. So this is going to surprise none of our regular listeners. EOS. EOS. We're both excited about EOS. 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 Um, look, the more I've seen from them, they seem to be really ramping everything up mm-hmm. and there seems to be a lot of work going on without a lot of hype anymore, mm. which has been really, really good. They had a $1 billion VC fund, which they essentially got the money from their crowd crowdfund mm-hmm. and they're also indicating that they're probably going to top that up as well for wow. more money from their crowdfund which is which is pretty cool but mm. they've still got about 250 million dollars worth of that one billion dollar vc funding to invest so they haven't wow. invested at all yet and there's a number of other funds which are investing in eos projects too mm. like galaxy digital and a few mm. others i think they're matching them one for one um so i've they've pumped a lot of money into a number of these companies, mm-hmm. these startups to build on their network, which is really something that most other networks haven't had the luxury of being able to mm-hmm. do. And what it's meant is that these these companies, these startups have been able to employ a lot of developers. And a lot of these developers are actually saying that it's a really easy platform to develop for too, which wow. is encouraging to Key. see. That's really important, yeah. Um, so that's that's been one thing. So there's a lot of act- development activity, uh, but there's also a lot of companies jumping ship mm. from Ethereum to EOS. And we're right. seeing that more and more and more. And it, it seems to be that because... So EOS has been topping the daily transaction volume now for months. Mm. There's no other blockchain that's doing anywhere near as much transactions as mm-hmm. EOS is. And it's, and it's, it's all because of... Uh, these distributed applications that you build on top. So I think they passed the EOS network passed Ethereum in about two two or three weeks for for the number of users on their distributed applications, and wow. that's now way ahead. Ethereum isn't even close mm. for the number of users using the application. And the reason for that is a lot of people using these quote unquote EOS applications don't even realize they're using a blockchain. Mm. because what's been built on top of it is put on like a phone app or a gambling mm. website or something and people are, are essentially interacting with a blockchain without even knowing it which is what we were hoping for and that's and kind of what you want you don't need to explain things to people it just people just use it yeah and that's happened within like six months of this platform being live you know it's, uh, which, which is unreal so that's been really promising and i think that's why a lot of these ethereum companies are now saying well the technology is there to trans to to take our smart contracts from Ethereum and bring them over to EOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the platform is faster; it's easier for developers. That things are getting fleshed out, and they're giving us funding. Why would we not go to somewhere where the blockchain actually does what we want it to do, instead of saying with Ethereum, which is essentially promising a whole bunch of, oh, it's coming, you know, scaling is coming, we're gonna fix it. But it's never actually happening. Mm. Yeah, um, so that's a couple of things. I mean, there, there's there's a few other things that are that are really promising. So Bancor is pretty exciting. They have this cross-chain liquidity network that they've sort of built, which allows you to to transfer what smart contracts or tokens. Yeah, tokens. Tokens yeah, from tokens. Ethereum to EOS and vice versa. Yeah, but it's not all good though. Yeah, so the, <laughs> there's been a lot of hacks. <laughs> yeah. um, not of the EOS network itself. There's been hacks of 
a number of smart contracts that have been mm. developed for some of these platforms. The encouraging thing is, though, it seems like everyone's looking out for each other. There was a recent one on one of the gambling apps, mm. um, and they realized that another gambling app had the same vulnerability, and they let them know mm. as well and said, hey, guys, you, here's our patch. You should patch it like this too. Wow. And they and that was I think that was the, the biggest takeaway is that they were actually able to patch their smart contract which that's you can't generally do on Ethereum. Wow. <laughs> so I guess that's another plus of the mm. platform. There's also been some issues with their governance as well. Mm-hmm. They had this thing called ECAF, which was like a dispute resolution arm, but it's rubbed everyone up the wrong way. And I think it's actually most of the block producers have come out now and said they're not going to honour any of their decisions. Wow. Um, so the community's kind of taking mm. it into their own hands to make things more decentralized again, mm, which has mm, been really encouraging. And a few other things. I mean, firstly, there's no significant secondary software for EOS. Now, people are waiting for like an official Block One, which is the company that's building EOS, their wallet. People mm. have been waiting for that for a while. People have been waiting for, yeah, there, there aren't a huge amount of things we can go, hey, guys, here's... This is what it's all about. I mean, yep. you've got some gambling dApps, which is cool, and you've got Everpedia, which is cool. So you've got quite a lot of cool things, like a Wikipedia thing that's based on it. But I mean, I'm personally just waiting for a really trustworthy, yeah. as trustworthy as I can get wallet yep. for EOS. The I, UX still isn't great, uh, is it? And it's, it just needs to get better there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Ben, what's the use case that you're really excited for in, in blockchain? My big blockchain use case for 2019 would be gaming. Wow. I think gaming always gets out ahead of everything else. It's always where a lot of the innovation happens. Uh, you look at things like Engine, Dfinity. We've covered those things before. You've got these new token standards like Ethereum ERC721 and 1155, I think it is. Mm-hmm. They're designed to you know, have non-fungible assets and different types of smart assets. And you've also got things like High Fidelity, which mm-hmm. which uh, Galaxy Digital has invested in. And VR they're, they're, World. Yeah, VR World with EOS behind the scenes. Mm. There's so much of this technology coming through and mm-hmm. there's already so much uh, interest in it. It's such a good fit for mm-hmm. gaming and the, especially multiplayer gaming. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be where a lot of the blockchain use case comes from in Mm. 2019 i think that's going to be the big area you see it really grow Mm. and have a genuine use case there wow yeah i'm really excited to see blockchain in as it works with election stuff now yeah still there's an argument that nothing can quite beat paper-based election systems but i'd be really interested in seeing that you know in areas where you need trust whether it's in um, how crowdfunded platforms use their money, but mainly just seeing how elections could work with the blockchain. I'm mm. really excited to see whether there's any potential with that. Mm. And secondly, seeing these, um, you know, these big DAOs, you know, what's it? What's that? Decentralized autonomous organizations, seeing how people pick up the ball with that and run, you know, whether it's a bunch of people for a company having its own DAO. Yeah. Or seeing how the employees vote on things, on how money is spent or how decisions are made and taken. Really excited to see how we can actually get governance Mm. working with Mm. blockchain tools. That really excites me in some ways. But it's still really new, even though it's not new, but it's it's kind of exciting. Yeah, I I would love to see that. I mean, every time Aragon releases a new update, I'm like, yes, come on. (laughs) So what's, what's your general... 
overall predictions you'd say for the next year that you're just excited about? Okay, so my general prediction for 2019 mm. is that we're going to see a significant downturn in Facebook, yeah. like the use of Facebook by users and people engaging with Facebook. Yeah. And we're going to see a new decentralized social network begin to rise to prominence. Because I think people are now at the stage where they are genuinely concerned about their privacy. I'm not saying everyone is, but a number of people are genuinely concerned about their privacy. They Facebook has kind of become the the symbol of everything bad about social networks yeah. and privacy. They're easy to not like. They're easy to target. And, I mean, I've weaned myself pretty much off Facebook. The only thing I use from Facebook now is Messenger. Right. I have to keep that because people continue to insist, message me on it, and I don't have their contact details just cut or them anything off. else. Cut them off. I'm just messing. Uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's very easy to go without Facebook, I found. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. really add anything mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really find that I'm wondering what people are doing on Facebook. And I think wondering what my people, daily political rant will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think part of it too is just the fact that I just don't like them. You know, I, I've, I've grown to despise Facebook. I think a number of other people have. So I think we will probably see the rise of a decentralized alternative that mm. isn't Facebook. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will be the same as Facebook. Mm-hmm. It might be something new. But part of the reason why it will rise to prominence is that it will be decentralized, open source, user controlled and respecting privacy. Wow. I think that will – and it won't just be something small. I'm, I think it has to at least have – Maybe 100 million users mm. or something. It'd be nice to see some sort of, you know, actually understand how things are getting pushed to the top of feeds. Yeah. And maybe all that's transparent as well, the algorithms. Maybe people can still advertise if they want, but it's all transparent as well. Mm. Who knows? Imagine a paid option where they don't see any ads. <laughs> or just using an ad blocker anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Mate, I think that it would be really nice to see, like, more people capitalizing on the internet um, because that is a real like it is the most powerful tool that our society has I think we should make the most of it I mean you're seeing a lot of alternative media outlets out there and you see a lot I mean there's a lot of news that you can get through non-mainstream sources people would say but I think that's super important I think I'm hoping to see a backlash against this sort of toxic political environment where mm. it's all about oh these people who are saying something I don't like and mm. all this like alarmist news reporting as you very well put it where it's like so you switch on the news and it's like oh this is the person you should hate today and here's why and tomorrow you wake up and it's like oh and here's the people you should not like and here's why and this person already condemned you know it's like I just woke up how's he condemned (laughs) (laughs) it just happened I'd love for this to be the year where we stop believing the experts. Should people just turn off mainstream news? Turn off your TV. Like, I, I think a lot of people are just getting tired because yeah. there's only so many times you can see someone say, Orange Man is bad. Mm. It's just, even if you don't like Trump and think he's a complete idiot, it's been two years. Yeah. Like, yeah. let's get some other headlines in. That's right. But I mean, yeah, sure, I'm an alt-right fascist for saying that. But I mean, I'm just well, you, bored. You, you, the first thing you should do is put that swastika away, oh. which you just pulled out. <laughs> but yeah, as an avid re- newsreader, I'm so bored mm. of this just toxic mess. Yeah. Give me a nuclear Well, see, war. I've opted out, mate. That's that's my issue. Like, there's things that happen now, and I'll find out about them a few days later, and someone will be like, yeah, this happened. And I'll, I'll inside, I'll be like, I feel like that's something I should have known. 
You know, that's quite major. Mm. But the problem is you can't, to get to the major stuff that's actually newsworthy, on any kind of mainstream news site, you have to wade through so much crap. And you find yourself getting pulled into these. You see a title and you know it's clickbaity and you know it's been constructed to get you to read it and to get worked up. And Oh, look, you just clicked on it. And you just clicked on it. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got to stop yourself after two Mm. sentences because you're getting outraged. And then Mm. you're like, wait, no, this is because I've been programmed to respond to this a certain way. Mm. Mm. And I'm just, I'm doing exactly what I'm being subliminally told to do by this news article. So I guess the moral is then that we really just need to concentrate on building better systems between ourselves, like on the internet. Mm. Like you were saying, the internet is kind of like the last refuge Mm. in a way. Mm. It's something that was quite unexpected. It's been set up very, quite decentralized, um, quite difficult to control as we're seeing. It's kind of the perfect place to begin bringing people back together, mm-hmm. begin building things of use. We've seen a lot of people do that already. But, you know, you're talking about governance before. That's a really interesting one. Maybe, can I posit, there is a, a cr- platform created where you can see the actual arguments between countries. Here, what do they actually disagree on? Mm. <laughs> and how do they propose to solve it? The real arguments. That'd be nice. No, yeah. I'm just sorry you were saying. Oh no, it's 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 true though. I think we need to shine a light on more of the stuff. Do we do we just begin building new structures? I think you're right. Maybe people just need to be like, look, we can't wait for for uh, someone else to sort it. May as yep. well take things into our own hands. Yeah. I mean, that's why they built, you know, Bitcoin in the first place. Yeah. I say they. I have no idea who built it, but I mean. It's, Craig, Craig it Wright. seems Craig what, <laughs> it seems that that was <laughs> it seems that that was the the motive for building it. Is, yeah, you know, let's you can't trust the governments with it. You may as well do it yourself. Maybe I'd love to see that happen with governance. Yeah. So yeah, 2019, plenty of um, potential pitfalls where we could stumble in, but overall, really exciting. A on the whole bunch of really exciting things. I think we've got a lot of lot of reason to be optimistic. Yeah, and we've got a lot of. Cool things to look forward to that we can highlight. And if that didn't put you off, why not come into our Telegram, join our Telegram channel, which is like a little chat tool thing, app that you can get, FOMO.show slash Telegram, come in and say hello. Do you know someone who might enjoy the show? Why not share it with them? You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our Telegram at FOMO.show slash Telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. Uh, and YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. Sorry there's been a delay in me putting the latest episode up on YouTube. Because it's I okay. Was You're on holiday. Yeah. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no fun.
Oh, I love technology. <laughs> uh, Beep. This show has been censored. Beep. Make America great again. Oh, it's a powder. Yeah, it's powder. Mate, that is very healthy. Mm. Mate, you're, you're trying to expand your lifespan. <laughs>